Kit McCarty here, welcoming you to Now I See, a podcast where people of vision share their eye-opening experiences that helped them shift focus, gain perspective, and see themselves and their world in a whole new way. We invite you to pull up a chair to the conversational table, pour yourself a drink, and enjoy our show. We're hoping our time together will encourage, elevate, and engage you toward your own eye-opening moments. Today's special guest is Ted Van Landigam. Hello, Ted. Welcome to Now I See. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. Ted is a U.S. spokesperson and the Director of Partner Relations for Maos Israel, an Israel-based Messianic Jewish ministry. Not only does Maos train and equip church, business, and community leaders, Maos brings physical help and hope to victims of terrorism, regardless of religious or cultural background. We'll talk more about this organization and Ted's involvement in it in just a bit. Prior to joining Maos, Ted served 26 years of active duty with the U.S. Air Force in various capacities and locations around the world. In civilian life, he served in numerous teaching and leadership capacities, including local churches, evangelistic outreach, and prison ministry. Ted is married, has six kids, and three grandkids. Ted, I see you as bold, confident, visionary, passionate, energetic, and outgoing. How do you see yourself? I see myself as blessed and really um, spirit-led. And what I mean by that is, is God has been at the forefront of my journey from the very beginning when I said yes to him, uh, guiding me every step of the way, you know, supernaturally into opportunities and into relationships that were key to me. Uh, doing what he he created me to do, which is bring his good news to his people around the world, including the people of Israel. So how was that interest, that passion formed in you? Um, You know, it started almost immediately when I became a believer. Um, I come from a Jewish background, um, but I got saved in a little uh, Southern Baptist church uh, in Ohio at my first duty assignment uh, in the Air Force at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And uh, there was a gentleman that I worked with uh, who gave me a book written by a Jewish believer and uh, found it to be very intriguing. I read it. And, um, and as I moved forward in my, in my faith walk uh, in Jesus, um, God began to bring more and more uh, people across my path. Initially, it was here and there God would have an encounter with a Jewish believer. Um, and as I, as I grew in my faith and as more time went by... Um, God began to accelerate those relationships with Jewish believers, and those relationships began to grow this call inside of me to not just reach the nations, but to reach my very own people, the Jewish people. That's uh, that is so interesting. So, growing up, did you was your family pretty Orthodox Jewish? Would you say did you really honor all the traditions and the practices? No, actually, uh, my family was very secular growing up, uh, and uh, you know there was an acknowledgement of God, um, but really not not any any real practice um, or or celebration, especially within the home. Um, my family was, you know, the typical family in the eighties, uh, uh, middle income family. And, uh, even I can, as I look back, cause you can, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. when you look back, you can see how God was moving. And even, uh, in the school that I was in, uh, God had connected me with believers, but also with, with Jewish believers from, from a, a very early point in my life. And at that point, you know, I didn't know um, that God was going to take me on this journey, that I was going to become a believer and follow him myself. But uh, now looking back, I can see his, his hand was on that. It's surprising to me that you knew so many Jewish believers because growing up, I didn't know hardly any Jews, much less Jewish believers. How, how do you think that happened? Were you in a Jewish community? Um, so the community, I grew up in St. Louis and there's a... Uh, a sizable Jewish community, and there is a, a Messianic community uh, uh, in St. Louis. It, it's one of the larger Jewish communities in, in the nation. And so uh, um, I think mostly, though, it was really God's providential hand, you know, bringing people into my path, um, both in in my early stages of my life and then when I 
when I came into the military, my travels with the military. And that really began uh, to accelerate when I got uh, stationed at uh, Andrews Air Force Base in Washington, D.C. I met uh, some people from Jews for Jesus, and I met a famous Messianic Jewish author, was invited to a Passover Seder. And I think that was probably one of the key turning points for me to, to really press forward, not just into a call to ministry, but a call to Jewish ministry. So did your family practice? I mean, did you have Passover? Did you have uh, Hanukkah? Did you celebrate those kinds of things? Or was it a blend of? No, you know, really, my my family didn't really do anything. We were uh, very similar to, you know, a lot of people, when they think of Jewish people, they, they have the stereotype in their mind of, of Orthodox I think Jewish I people. Do. And, um but a, a large segment of the Jewish population here in the United States and even in Israel is very secular. There's a huge Jewish Orthodox Jewish community here in, in the United States and also in Israel, but an even greater portion of the population would be what you would consider very secular. There's a there's a belief in God, but there's not really a you know you know, really kind of our religion was baseball and, 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 and sports and outdoor stuff. That was, uh, <laughs> that was our religion growing up. And, uh, but there was an acknowledgement of God and, you know, a belief in God and, and, you know, um, but it wasn't like it was something we talked about a lot, you know, it was at key moments, like when we had a relative pass away, like what happens to you, you know, when you die and, um, and growing up, you know, um, my parents didn't really have good, strong answers for that. It was mostly the, the, the typical be a good person message. I don't think that's all that different from even people that I know that go to church. Absolutely. So um, so that isn't really all that surprising. Um, so as you came along that journey, then what brought you here? How did you get involved in Mass? Well, you know, uh, kind of a crazy story. Um you know, like I said, when I was stationed at, at Andrews Air Force in D.C., um, uh, I met these folks from Jews for Jesus. I got involved with, with Jews for Jesus and did a few outreaches with them. Uh, went to a Passover Seder hosted by a, a famous Messianic Jewish author, Stan Telchin. And that was really, uh, as a believer, as a believer in Jesus, as the Messiah of our people, um, that was kind of a turning point where I really began to own my own Jewish background because really before that it, there was an acknowledgement of it, but it wasn't that it was really that critical or important to me. Um, but then I began to take ownership of the fact that I am a Jewish believer. I have Jewish blood running through my veins and, and I'm a believer in, in, in Jesus. And I have a responsibility to share this message with my people. And so that began to really grow into a call to ministry. I thought I would go over as a missionary. Uh, for a season, I was a pastor at a Christian Missionary Alliance church um, in Ohio. Um, and uh, um, I thought I would go over there, you know, on a mission billet with the Christian Missionary Alliance uh, to Israel. But God brought me here to, uh, to the Dallas-Fort Worth area with the military. It was my final assignment in the military. And I really, when we got here, I really began to feel a huge acceleration of that call uh, to ministry, to Jewish ministry. But I didn't really know where it was. I thought we would end up over in Israel. And um, and my wife had had a, she had met a lady um, at a hair salon. And uh, my daughter had actually gone over to Israel with some friends who made Aliyah and, uh, and spent uh several months over there doing missions work with them, um, from, with their ministry. And we were really feeling in our hearts that we were, we were going to go over there. Um, and, uh, and my wife wanted me to meet this lady that she met at the hair salon, um, who had the same heart for Israel. And, uh, and so we were going to meet her, um, uh, at an IHOP restaurant. And, uh, and my wife decided there was a, a Panera Bread right next to it. And she said, you know what? I'd rather go to Panera Bread instead of IHOP. And uh, and so she told me to go in and get a table. And I'm standing in line. And and my wife is waiting for uh, this lady to show up out in the parking lot. And while I'm waiting in line, uh, a guy comes up from behind and puts his hand on my shoulder. And he says, excuse me, do you speak Hebrew? And, um, you know, who asks who asked you a question? That, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But uh, I actually, you know, do speak uh, a fair amount of Hebrew, 
And uh, did he know you? Did you no. have the hat? Oh, I know I had no hat. Identifying? No, no keep on. Uh, I don't usually wear one unless I'm, you know, at a, you know, at a synagogue. That and, is so. And weird. um, and uh, turns out he was involved with a ministry in Israel. He was um, uh, he was gonna be meeting up with a guy from Josh McDowell Ministries and another guy from Mercy Ships, and he was picking up some bagels for their meeting. And he said, I saw you, and I felt like the Lord highlighted you to me. And uh, and he goes, I've, and I told him why. I'm getting ready to get out of the military, retire, and uh, I feel a call to Israel ministry. He goes, I, I knew it. And he goes, I feel like I'm supposed to connect you. And um, so uh, that that was pretty amazing. And then uh, the lady that we were there to meet uh, showed up, and... Um, and it turns out um, her and all the ladies at that hair salon um, had taken up an offering to sell into a ministry in Israel. And it ended up being this guy's ministry. And he was in town from Chicago. He didn't, he didn't, he, he was here for this meeting. And so that really made me feel like, okay, the Lord is, the Lord is really in this. And um, yeah, that, so, that's too random yeah. to not be ordained, to not be planned. That's amazing. Yeah. And so crazy thing was, is he, he, he goes, I had these two people. I feel like I'm supposed to connect you with one guy in Israel and one guy here out in Cleburne, Texas in Johnson County for Israel the ministry out there. And I'd never heard of either one of these guys or their ministries. And um, I said, okay, well, I end up meeting this guy named Kevin from Johnson County for Israel out in Cleburne. And, uh, we have this uh, lunch. We meet up at a Chick-fil-A, and we start talking, and I find out that they're going to have this Night for Israel gala um, at the Cleburne Convention Center. And he goes, we're going to have all these people from all these different Messianic ministries around the world coming. And he goes, I don't know why I'm saying this, but he goes, I feel like I'm supposed to have you open it up. Oh, hello. And, and I'm like, <laughs> I... Uh, I'm nobody. Why would you? He goes, I just feel like the Lord wants me to do that. And so he invited me to come. And so, um, uh, this was like several months off in the meantime, this continues to happen. You know, we're, I'm in Walmart, uh, Kroger's, um, you name it. People are coming up to me and asking me if I'm Jewish, if I speak Hebrew, do I have anything to do with Israel? And it's more and more connections and these connections all kind of dovetailing together well it culminates with this uh going to this uh event uh this uh night for israel event at, at the cleburne convention center and i'm there and i'm thinking lord what am i doing here you know um and and uh one of the ministries i saw they looked like they they needed an it guy and i had done that in the military and i thought well maybe that's it and um and i been praying about whether I should even put my name in the hat or not. And my wife and I were both praying about it, but my wife just really felt like, no, that's not, that's not it. And, um, and then, uh, we had been invited to uh, a new home group out in Mansfield, Texas. And, uh, we had never been to this home group before. And, um, we get there and we're meeting everybody. And after this, after the, the home group, um, they had snacks and coffee and fellowship. And this lady comes up and, uh, and she goes, I know you don't know me. And, uh, she goes, um, but, uh, I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you that you're supposed to, um, send your testimony and your story, uh, to my Israel ministries. Cause God has a position for you there. And, um, and I thought, well, I, at this night for Israel gala, I had actually met, you know, uh, a number of people, including the founder, Ari. And, uh, but it wasn't like a standout moment when I met him or anything. And, uh, so I thought, well, maybe this is the door God has. So I sent it weeks go by and I'm getting close to my retirement date. And, uh, and I'm just really not sure about what the future holds. And I had been offered some very lucrative, um, jobs in the defense industry and I had turned them down cause I felt like God had this ministry call. But then, uh, you know, uh, I was like, maybe I made a mistake, you know, 
maybe I was supposed to take one of these jobs because now I don't have a job. I've got my pension, but it's one third of what I was making. And who's, who's really situated to take a two thirds pay cut? Not a lot of people. And I, so I was really feeling anxious. And my wife said, we need to worship and pray. And she said, gather all the kids up. We're going to worship and we're going to pray. So I connected up my computer, opened up iTunes, my worship playlist. We worshiped then we prayed. And, um, and then I remembered, um, I was at a, another gathering and somebody had come up to me and they had said, you're no longer to toil in things of no eternal consequence. Your hands have been set apart for a holy occupation. And, uh, and I remembered that, and I had never had any people come up and say things like that to me before. So this was really, you know, unusual for me. And I said, okay, Lord, I give my hands to Jesus to serve him only. Right when I said that, my email doings on my computer, I had had it hooked up to our little speaker for worship. And I went over and it was an email from Miles. And they said, we want to meet. And I didn't even know Miles had a, a U.S. office, the one we're sitting in right now. You know, I I didn't know, really know anything about him. And so a week later, invited out. And um, um, the couple that we meet with, from they're on the board of directors. Ted says prayer is the easiest way to get involved with what God's doing in the world. I agree. And here are some easy ways to get involved with what we're doing in the Now I See world. Liking, subscribing, sharing, or rating and reviewing the Now I See podcast. Have you visited our site at nis.media to enjoy our gorgeous artwork or read our informative blogs or sign up for our weekly newsletter? That's easy. Have you followed our Facebook page or joined our Facebook discussions or become a member of the new Now I See Facebook group? That's easy, too. If you have, I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. And if you haven't, well, what in the world are you waiting for? This is the part where you expect to be returned to our show. Brace yourself for the unexpected, as told to us by today's guest, Ted Van Landigam. So, uh, Kaim was was a young Jewish man that my wife grew up with from elementary on, and he got radically saved in high school and went away to... Uh, ministry school and, and met his wife there. And, uh, and he was, the, he and his wife were the ones who started to witness to, to my wife and really ultimately were responsible for her coming to know the Lord. Well, this couple from Maos that we were meeting, they were discipling Kaim and Rudy, um, when they were away at their ministry school. Um, and cause Kaim and Rudy had started going to, uh, their, their church. And so now here we are sitting in front of these people that we'd never met before, um, who years, years before, many years before had been discipling, uh, this couple that was responsible for my wife coming to know the Lord. Um, and they're on the board of directors of this ministry. And then, uh, I, so long story short, God opened up the door for me to come on board. I'd never done anything like this before. And then... When I was uh, when I was five, um, I was uh, adopted by my uh, stepdad, and uh, and um, a few months after the adoption, uh, we went on a uh, a vacation to Disney out in California, and um, the hotel we were staying in, they were filming an episode of Hawaii Five O. And uh, I had come running off the elevator. We were going to go to breakfast, and I ran right through the middle of them filming this scene, <laughs> and completely messed it up. The the director was yelling at me, and then he said, "You know what, Ken? I can use you." And uh, so he ended up incorporating me into the scene of this filming of Hawaii Five O. Well, that was many many years ago. Well, about a year after I come on board with with my O's, I found out that Ari, the founder of the ministry he had been an actor in Hollywood and he had been in Hawaii five Oh, oh he was gosh. the villain, uh, <laughs> Wolfat. And, uh, and I about fell off my chair, you know, here I am all these years later, 
working for this guy that I had brushed up against when I was, you know, five years old. Um, and it just felt like the providential hand of God. So that was probably one, too one, long. So. One sign after another leading you here. So yeah. tell me about the organization. Tell me what you guys do and, and what's your part in it. Yeah. So uh, Ma'oz is a Messianic Jewish ministry. We're Jewish believers in Jesus. And uh, we're one of the oldest Messianic ministries in the land of Israel. Started in 1976. But it really started before that. Um, Ari and Shira Sokarama, the founders. And Shira was actually, her first time to Israel was in, I think, 57 or 58. And then she moved there um, uh, in night, made Aliyah in 1967. And then uh, sometime after that, met Ari. Um, and then they eventually got married. And then they started the ministry in 1976. And so uh, they really pioneered the Messianic movement. Back then, there were, you know, the number of Messianic Jews in Israel, you could count them on, on your two hands. Um, very small. Um, and... Uh, since then, it has grown. We, we plant congregations. Uh, we translate Christian books uh, into Hebrew. We've even translated some into Arabic. We've done even a few for the Chinese house church. Um, we've done 150 Christian books to date. We've done books by um, uh, Dr. James Opson's Dare to Discipline, uh, Gary, uh, Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages, um, Max Luke Cato's books, you know, quite a few uh, books. I can't even begin to n name them all. We actually just finished the uh, chronological narrated uh, study Bible. And uh, you might say, well, why would you need to translate a Bible into, you know, Hebrew? Well, the... It, the, the the notes and in, in all of the stuff in the study Bible, this is the first study Bible in Israel in Hebrew that has ever been done. And, uh, and so one of the things that we're really about as a ministry, obviously evangelism and outreach, um, but we, we believe that the best way to do that is to make believers strong. And so that's why we do youth camps and conferences, um, conferences and leadership conferences for, um, pastors and congregational leaders and messianic rabbis um and a translation of books and materials and discipleship materials to equip believers to be strong and if believers are strong then you're going to have strong homes and strong families and strong homes and families make strong churches and congregations and strong congregations make a strong movement in a nation and uh, and so that's what we're passionate about. And we started out as a Messianic Jewish ministry, and we are, but we also have a vibrant Arab ministry too. Uh, and a lot of people don't know that because they in, in a lot of the church it's either or you're either for the Palestinians and the Arabs or you're or you're for Israel. But God's heart is really for both. And so we have uh, five Arab speaking congregations that we planted. Um, uh, we've translated materials. We've brought humanitarian aid, um, not just to Arab Christians, but to um, um, Arabs who are from a Muslim background who've been persecuted. Because a lot of the persecution you see in the Middle East, you know, you know, the first line of fire a lot of times are people who are who are Muslims, and and not only do they need to hear the message of of Yeshua Jesus, but they need compassion, and um, and. And so it blows their mind, number one, that we're believers in Jesus, but we're also Jewish and that we love them and we want to we want to show them love and, and protect them and help them. And that opens up doors for the gospel to go forward. And um, we uh, produced the first ever Arab Christian worship album that we know of, and we're pretty confident in, in this statement that this is the first ever Arab Christian worship album produced in the Middle East in Arabic, and we just finished the second one. And uh, and so, you know, since 1976, growing from, you know, just a handful of believers that you could count on two hands, we have now, you know, the numbers vary depending on who you talk to. The government in Israel says 50,000. We're more conservative. We think it's probably around 35,000. Um, but there's over 200 congregations of Jewish believers in Israel and, uh, and worldwide even greater. Um, and so one of the things that's exciting is we're beginning to see the scales fall off of the eyes of our people and the ears open up to the gospel message. And um, a few years ago, uh, a study had been done uh, 
by a research group, the Barna Research Group, which you're probably familiar with. Um, but it made it made the Jerusalem Post. It made the uh, the the um, front page of the Jerusalem Post, and uh, and the the study found that one out of five Jewish millennials and Gen Zers are now considering the fact that Yeshua Jesus may in fact be the Messiah. It doesn't mean that they've said yes to Jesus and they're believers. But we've never seen an openness, right. especially among young people, to the fact that Jesus is the promised Messiah that we've been looking for all this time. I think a lot of young people are looking at the traditions that they've grown up with and um, the stories that they've heard, and they're not satisfied. Yeah. They're looking for answers. They see what hasn't worked, and now they're interested in seeing what might. And so I think that now more than ever, young people are looking to God, are looking to be more spiritual, are looking for some um, reasons for purpose and meaning in their life. So. Yeah, especially in Israel. I mean, if you talk to kids that have fled the Orthodox Jewish lifestyle, I mean, you know, trying to keep all of the law is, is just... It's impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> it really is, and they've they've tried it, and uh, and they've grown disenchanted with that, and then they've gone into Eastern mysticism. Uh, you know, the New Age is huge in Israel. They have a New Age festival that'll draw over a hundred thousand pre-Corona, um, and they've tried all of that, and that hasn't. Uh, and now they're considering is Yeshua, is Jesus the Messiah, and so we have this young, thriving body of first generation. Native Israeli believers who are on fire for the Lord to advance the gospel. And uh, we're really beginning to see traction like we've never seen before. That is amazing. It is. That's amazing. Okay, let's get basic for a minute because yeah. I've been saying this all wrong. I've been saying <laughs> Mao is wrong. Tell me what that means. Is that a Hebrew word or is it an acronym? It is a Hebrew word. Okay. comes from Psalm 27. Um and it, I think it's verse two, if if I remember right, um, and that the word maoz or maotzi um, is it means the strength of the strength of the Lord, mm-hmm. and uh, and so um, and it has a lot of meaning, especially in Jewish communities and in Israel, um, and uh, you know the, our Lord is a amygdala, is a strong tower, um, he is a, he's a fortress, a masada. And he is our strength, our maos. And uh, there's actually a, a famous Hebrew hymn uh, that has maos in it. And so um, it has a lot of meaning in Israel. Uh, it gets we get called Moaz, Maaz, um, <laughs> um, all different kinds of things. And um, but it means the strength of the Lord. And really, when the ministry was founded, you know, we didn't know early on that one of our main missions as a, as a ministry would be to strengthen believers. And that's what we do. And so God in his brilliance knew that that's what our ministry needed to be called because it, it it's in lockstep with what we do in the land, strengthen believers in the strength of the Lord. Well, and there's so much power in truth mm-hmm. and freedom Absolutely. and justice and mercy. Amen. <laughs> so <Amen. laughs> let's Amen. cling to those strong things and watch those change the world. And people are hungry for that in I the Middle so East because they're, they're awash in a sea of religion. You know, there's all kinds of religion all over the place, but not a lot of true revelation of, of King Jesus and, and the love that he carries. And we hear over and over, whether it's people coming out of Orthodox Judaism or Islam, the relief yes. that they feel coming out of that, coming into a, a relationship of grace and love. And, uh, and it's a powerful thing to see people liberated from that. And for those uh, that even have deep roots in religion to be able to see that Jesus perfectly exemplifies who God himself is. And um, so all the traditions that they've been practicing, all the stories they've heard about Abraham and the blessing, find their fulfillment in Christ. And so um, when all the pieces come together, as they did in your life in bringing you here, there's a wonderful thing that happens when you suddenly realize this is it. This is what I've been looking for. Amen. And, you know, I'll tell you, it's like... The first time, you know, especially as a Jewish believer, you sit through Passover as a believer with the blinders off and you begin to see, oh my gosh, this pointed to to Jesus all along. Every moment of it, every point of it was just pointing, shouting, yelling, Jesus is the Messiah. And, uh, and when, you know, it's amazing too is, you know, um, 
a lot of people think our people read the Bible, but we really don't, you know, especially in the Orthodox community, you know, they read little segments of it. Um, and a lot of Orthodox Jewish people, they don't even think Isaiah 53 is from the Bible. Um, and then when you hand them a JPS Jewish publication society, Tanakh old Testament and open Isaiah 53 and you have them read that for the first time, it, I've met so many Jewish people who have come to know the Lord and the first thing they do is they'll go talk to the rabbi. What is this? You know, and they don't have an answer, but it's very clear that it is Jesus is the Messiah. And, and more and more Jewish people are becoming aware of that and, and, uh, and more open to hearing the gospel message. So what is your role in this organization? What are you doing? And what do you find particularly fulfilling about what you do? So our ministry, different from a lot of other uh, Messianic Jewish ministries, we're, we're based in Israel, and the, our primary work is in the land of Israel. Um, and at, with that being the case, um, and most of our leadership team being in Israel, um, they felt the need to have somebody. Actually, at the time that I sent um, my testimony, remember that story mm -hmm. that the lady told uh -huh. me to send my testimony and my story? At the time I emailed it in, and they didn't have any advertisement about a job or openings, but my, my story came in right at the time that they were having a board meeting, and the board was praying about having somebody represent the ministry. And in comes my email um and uh so again the divine supernatural timing and so because it's not practical to travel back and forth from israel you know churches that support us you know we have a responsibility to connect with them and give them updates you know hey you know you've been supporting us this is what what your resources have gone to and individual believers too um and so that started off you know just partner relations or development to, to connect with churches and, and individuals who supported the ministry. And out of that kind of grew uh, a ministry as far as, you know, a lot of people were connected with their ministry and they had this heart for Israel, but they didn't know why, you know. And, uh, and so that has opened up doors to go to many churches, uh, lead Christ in the Passover presentations and stuff that we'd never done before. And it wouldn't be practical for Ari and Kobe and all the team to come over constantly to do that because they have a ministry that they're running over in the land. And so that's, that's been my role. And, uh, and, uh, starting off, you know, uh, we didn't know it was going to really turn into that, but it, it, it quickly turned into that. And, and, uh, it's been pretty amazing. So what are some of the things that you've enjoyed most about your work here? I think for me connecting with individuals, you know, um, you know, I've gotten to pray with people who have lost loved ones. You know, one time I was getting ready to go on a speaking engagement and I came in on a Saturday because I was going to speak at a church on a Sunday. And I came in on Saturday to get some ministry brochures and newsletters. And the phone rang. And it wasn't normal hours. And I was in a hurry. And I was actually running behind. And uh, and I was worried about missing my flight. And uh, um, But I really felt like the Lord wanted me to answer the call. And it was a lady out of Toronto, Canada. And her uh, um, son-in-law was dying from cancer. He was, they moved him to hospice. And, uh, and she said, uh, would you pray for him? And, uh, I didn't want to answer the phone to begin with. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to, I need, I need to pray, but I'm panicking thinking I missed my flight, but I prayed. And, uh, and to be honest with you, I really didn't expect anything from it. And three days later, um, on the trip, um, I got a call from our administrator here saying, Hey, this lady's trying to reach you. She insists on talking to you. Um, and she, uh, she gave me uh, this lady's number. So I called her and she goes, you, you, I don't know if you remember me or not. You prayed for my, my son-in-law the other day. I'm from Toronto. And, um, anyway, uh, um, when I prayed for him, his organs were in the process of shutting down and that stopped. And, uh, uh, and he started to come out. He had been in a coma and he, he had come out of the coma three days later 
things had begun to stabilize. And then she called me again about two months later. Um, and she goes, I just wanted to tell you that my today, uh, my son-in-law has left the hospital and he has been declared cancer free. And I've never had anything like that happen before. And I don't take any credit for it, but it's things like that, that were unexpected. There's so many unexpected things where, you know, you just don't know. Um, we were at a church, um, and people came up afterwards and the pastor asked me to stay up there and pray for people. And this couple came up and they just asked me to pray for their daughter. And, uh, um, and I just had this image in my mind of her being involved in a relationship with, uh, another woman and, uh, and turning away from the faith. And I, and I, I said, you know, is, is, is this possibly a situation? And the the mom just completely came undone and started bawling her eyes out. And that was exactly the case. And, um, and, you know, prayed for her daughter and long story short, her daughter has, you know, returned from being a prodigal and returned from that season. In fact, we just talked, uh, the other day, uh, with, with her. And, uh, and so again, that's, that's the Lord, you know, uh, uh, I would have no way of knowing that it's just God and, uh, um, just little things like that, which are to me, big things, you know, and, you live uh, in the land of the unexpected and, and the longer I uh, walk in faith, the more I see that yeah. but my own person really wants control. It wants order. It wants things to, you know, figure out and have follow a logical progression. And the longer I walk in faith, I realize it's those unexpected things, those and. Uh, unanticipated interactions with other people, uh, circumstances that just pop up, things you can't ignore. Um, and so what's it like to live? And you've, you've shared so many instances of that. What's it like to live in the land of the unexpected? Well, I can relate to what you said, because um, if you were to know me for any period of time. Uh, you were in the military. <laughs> there's control. When my, there's when, my, when my wife met me and married me, I would... Um, spray starch my socks underwear and t-shirts into six inch squares in the drawer and iron them in the drawer and she's like oh my gosh what did i marry i was you know in the dishwasher i would put the knives in one thing forks spoon and it wouldn't mess with me Doesn't if she put them all in there jumbled up together and um so i was i was uh very extreme on on the organized side and trying to control everything and map out everything. I had a five year fishbone chart for our family, you know, and, and we're, and all of that stuff has kind of gone out the door. I'm like a totally different person. Um, uh, you know, I have a, a little, uh, I got these, this little cube set we got from Ikea and I have this little linen basket that goes in a cube and all my socks are just jumbled in there. And, I think part of it is, is God has taken me on this journey of unexpected and, you know, and it's really about relying on him, not trying to control the outcome of everything, not trying to orchestrate everything, not trying to control everything in my own, in my own hands. And when I, when I gave my hands to him and let go and did something that was really kind of crazy and counterintuitive to just turn down in incredibly well-paying jobs with you know in the defense industry to wait on an uncertainty and to step into ministry and and you know ministry life can be very lean but all along the way god god has met our needs when we when we stepped into ministry full time and released control when i released control to the lord um we weren't certain how we were going to make ends meet and we were at church and we had $50, um, and it was going to be a while till we got our first um, retired paycheck, which was going to be a significant cut. And I, my wife wanted to tithe all 50 of it. And I just said, why don't we just do 20 or 25? And she said, no, we need to do all 50 of it. And we were renting a house in Benbrook, Texas at the time. So we, we went ahead, you know, because of my wife's faith, and put the, the $50 in. And, um, 
on the way home, we were up for a renewal of our lease with our landlord for the house that we were renting. And, and our landlord wasn't a believer. And he said, I sent you the updated lease for you guys to sign. And he goes, by the way, I'm dropping your rent $50 a month. And so for the next two years, we got that $50 back. Um, tw- 24 times. Yeah. And, um, and there's so many stories like that when of letting go and letting the Lord lead. Um, and uh, I'll tell you one more story if we've got time. We were invited to speak at uh, a church in St. Louis. Um, you you probably heard of Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean Craig pa- pastored a church in St. Louis, not too far from where I grew up. And um, this is my first time going there. I had my son Levi with me. And we're in the car, and I have my GPS on my phone. And it tells me if I go this other route, I'm going to save like an hour. I think there was a wreck on the normal route. And I'm like, I'm going to save an hour. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, I ended up on this obscure um, toll road going through this First Nations area. And uh, I come up to this toll kiosk. It's unmanned. It doesn't take cash. There's no person there. Um doesn't take card. You, it wants like um, 50 cents. Uh to throw into the uh, to the coin basket and to go on. And I'm sitting there frustrated because I don't have any change in my car. And I'm like, who came up with this idea? Why, you know, everybody uses card now, you know, or why not put a dollar bill in the machine or something? And, uh, and I'm really frustrated. And my son Levi said, Dad, don't get frustrated. You need to pray. And so I prayed a grumbly prayer. <laughs> whoever came up with this dumb idea guy, <laughs> you know, show him this is a dumb idea. And, uh, and uh, anyway, I finished my grumbly prayer and I look out the window and I see this, this little sparkle in the dirt. I get out and I kid you not, I took a picture of it too. I brushed it off and there's a quarter. I picked the quarter up and there's another little sparkle. There is a dime, a dime, a nickel, 50 cents. I chunk it in the machine and I'm I'm excited, and then I'm five minutes on the road, and I'm like, man, that was really weird, you know. Um, but thank you, Lord. And I just felt like the, the Lord spoke to me. We were doing a, a study this morning, um, talking about Elijah when he heard the still small voice of the Lord. In Hebrew, that's demama dak kol, and still is like so still, so utterly still, you could hear a pin drop. There's a total absence of noise. Demama. Doc in Hebrew, small, is like we had a, a bottle of cashews. And it was like if you took the cashew out and smashed it into the finest powder that you could, that's that's how small. You know, it's the, if you weren't really looking, you'd miss it. And then um, coal, which is the voice of, of the Lord, is like it's the polar opposite of those two first words. It's like a lightning storm. And I don't know if you've ever had this moment in your life where you've been waiting on the Lord to hear his voice and you finally, you finally hear the Lord. And it's like this electric storm goes off inside of you. And for me, that's that moment. Uh, I'm like, wow, that was weird. Why, why, you know, what in the world was that money doing right there? You know, the way it was in the dirt and, and the Lord just spoke in, in my inner man. I didn't hear him audibly. I just heard him in my heart. And I just felt like he was saying to me, Ted, I brought you this way to show you that I'm the God of, of these 50 cents. That I, everything that you need, I have provided for you or I will provide for you. Um, but you just need to trust in me. You need to really let go and release it all to me and completely trust me. And even when it doesn't seem to make sense to just completely and utterly put all of your trust in me. Ted, you've been in some really amazing places. You've traveled the world. You've met important government leaders. You've served in the military. You've pastored churches. You've done so many things. Mm -hmm. But has anything ever been as satisfying and thrilling as hanging on for dear life, (laughs) waiting on God? Mm -hmm. I tell you. It's so rewarding. For me, every time... God shows up, um, you know, uh, and he provides, um, to me, it's exhilarating just, uh, in a way you can't explain, you know, I, it's, it's 
it's the most satisfying thing. Um, you know, it's a testimony, you know, but, but it's, it's hard to describe, to know God, you know, to, to know in your heart that God showed up, God had heard your cry, that God has met your need. Um, and there's been so many times and you could say, and I'm not a sensationalist. I mean, I didn't, you know, I had a, very successful career in the military, you know, worked in the White House. You know, I didn't get to those places by being dramatic or sensational, you know. But God knows your needs. And um, when I had one of my daughters was a missionary in Africa, in uh, Uganda. And uh, and she met her husband over there, uh, who was also in ministry. And uh, they decided they wanted to have their wedding in Uganda, which was very complicated. <laughs> okay, can I tell you? Um, and, uh, and... And we didn't have the money for even to, both my wife and I to go over to Uganda. It's expensive. And um, and I had been invited to speak at a church. Uh, and, uh, and I'm sitting there. I got there like 45 minutes early. I like to get there early and pray. Um, and this guy comes up to me. And uh, he goes, do you have a daughter who's a missionary in Africa? And I said, yeah. And he goes, is she going to get married? And I said, yeah. And he goes, is she going to get married over there in Africa? This is getting creepy. And <laughs> I said, as a matter of fact, yeah. I'm like, do I know you? Because I meet a lot of people. Sure. And I, I don't know. I don't remember names very well. But I don't. I remember faces. And I didn't remember this guy's name. And he goes, I had a dream about you last night. And I, he goes, I'm certain it was you. And he goes, who all's going to go over to Africa uh, for the wedding. I said, just going to be me. He goes, I knew it. He goes, the Lord told me I'm supposed to pay for your whole family to go. This man bought the tickets. We found out that we all had to get the special shots to get get in the country. Um, yellow, I think it was yellow fever shot. It was like 200 bucks a shot. You know, six kids, well, five kids because the one was already over there. And my wife and I, and uh, he even paid for my mother-in-law to go. And, um, and, uh, and my two sons didn't have a passport and he said, any cost, he goes, I'm supposed to cover it. And he paid for everything. Um, and I didn't even have a chance to pray. We just resolved that it was just going to be me that would go. We didn't ask anybody for it. You know, we didn't ask the Lord, but God knew the need before we spoke it, prayed it, brought it up and, and put it on somebody's heart and a church, you know, in a, in a crazy way. And I know that it probably sounds too good to be true, but it, but it is true, <laughs> you know, and, um, uh, he's a God of abundance. And that's, that's the, a long answer to your question about what, what's it like to just let it go and let him, you know, let go of control, let go, let go of control and let the Lord steer your ship. Don't try to orchestrate it yourself. Well, Todd, I feel like a lot of people are going to want to hear more of your stories. Do yeah. you speak at churches? I conferences? do. How do people get a hold of you? Um, if you can go to uh, maozisrael.org, www.maozisrael.org. Um, and you can also go to our istandwithisrael.com, which is our humanitarian aid page. And we have on the maozisrael.org page, there's a link for a request to a speaker. And you can go there and request a speaker. And uh, um, we'd be happy to come. We don't ask anything to come. And, uh, and we go by faith. And uh, so if you're interested in having, you know, uh, somebody from an Israel ministry, an Israel-based ministry come, you know, whether it be myself or somebody else from our ministry, um, uh, give us a shout-out. So how else can people get involved? They can find out more information by visiting your site. Well, absolutely. You can what go to, you, you also can go to our website. Uh, we have a newsletter uh, called the Ma'o's Israel Report. It comes out once a month. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. And I would tell you to sign up for that because um, you're going to get insight from the Middle East and from especially from Israel by believers in the land. Um, and you're going to have good prayer points. Um, prayer is one of the most important ways to be involved. Um, if you feel led to support and partner, you know, if God's leading you to do that, then you should do that. And you can do that by going to the website. Um, and uh, and there's different projects. We've got books that we're translating, outreaches that we're doing, um, humanitarian aid, things that we're doing. 
and uh, and you can sow into those things. And uh, designated gifts go to what they're designated for. That's how it works. And um, and you can be assured we're we're members of Charity Navigator and the ECFA, Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, and we're top rated by by both of them. We get audited every year. And um, and pray. Uh, and if you're called to, you know. Um, so then you can sow too and if you ever feel led to come over to the land of israel you know come over and you know you can visit our ministry our congregations and we would love to have you do that and uh and build a relationship with believers in the land both jewish and arab believers um you know because that's 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 even better than getting a newsletter you know with prayer points when you have that relationship with indigenous believers and that's the case uh, whether you have a, a call to pray over and support missions in india or israel or africa if you have a real, real relationship with people who are boots on the ground that that's gonna be even more meaningful changes everything yeah sure changes the way you pray as we close out the show today is there anything you'd like to have our listeners see more clearly i think you know um you know, in Israel, just like there is here in the United States and really around the world, there's a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, and that's just the world we live in, you know. Um, and every day that goes by is one day closer, you know, to Jesus' um, coming. But in the meantime, you know, that uncertainty uh, is an opportunity to reach out and minister to those who have no hope, who are afraid, who don't know the hope of glory, which is King Jesus. And so be prayerful about, you know, just like here in the United States, we have an uncertain political situation. We've had back-to-back-to-back elections. There's a lot of tension and polarization in that nation. And um, and in the middle of that, um, is an opportunity to see people who who are afraid, who are hurting, who are uncertain, to show them the hope that we have. Thank you so much. It has been for me too. Thanks. And friends, we'll see you again next week. Can you think of someone who would enjoy our show today? If so, please share it with them. You can help others find us too by liking, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Visit today's show notes for show highlights, links to recommended resources, including our own, nis.media. I'd love to hear what you have to say, so drop me a line at Kit McCarty, NIS, on Facebook, or at kit at nis.media. And if you'd like to hear more from me, sign up for my periodic newsletter when you're on my site. Special thanks to the production team at Headset Radio, and to my friend Becky Salazar for the bumper music. I'm your host, Kit McCarty. See you again soon.